2: I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite Lorecast on the Citadel.
3: Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast lore behind the Mass Effect games. Welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. This is your host, Tom. I'm here with Sam, as usual. Sam, I'm fighting a little bit of a cold, so if it sounds like I have a thro- frog, a throg. A throg is an alien frog that you only found find on certain a planets. A throg. A throg. Your where? In my gullet. My gullet <laughs> in my gully. In my throg gully. Um, but I hope I don't sound too terrible. Well, I'm excited. We're finally taking on Liara. We get to talk about Liara, one of the most important characters in the games. I'm a little
2: daunted to yeah. be honest, yeah. because she is so important.
3: Yeah, right? she's like, like the second main character. I, I said this on a previous episode. I feel like like there's Shepard, there's Liara, and then there's everybody else. Maybe Garrus is third. You know, like well,
2: yeah. Liara is iconic to Mass Effect, and she's so important. And her fans, like people who are specifically Liara fans, mm-hmm. we gotta get this right.
3: Otherwise, we're gonna hear about it. That's true. That's true. But we we segued into this a little bit with some of our previous episode topics.
2: We did. Yeah, we 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 brought up Liara briefly when we were talking about Benezia, Of course, it's her mom. Uh, and, you know, last uh, character we were actually talking about was Benezia, and she had a tragic story. So we're going to pivot uh, to someone very close, important to her. And Liara, like we said, is also integral to the entirety of the trilogy and even makes that appearance in Mass Effect Andromeda,
3: too. Right, right. But first, the first place we run into her is in Mass Effect 1, right? That's the earliest lore we have. Is that correct?
2: It is. You know, there's some moments that she references in dialogue in later games um, about her childhood. But in on screen terms, yes, uh, that is Mass Effect 1 is the earliest in the Mass Effect timeline where she is actually seen on screen.
3: Okay, so where do we start with this?
2: Let's start with her recruitment mission when we first see her because before we we, we go to uh, Therum to recruit Liara, w- we don't even really know about her. We know that, hey, you know, like, uh, you know, anyway. We only see her on Theorem. It takes place right after we find out about Benezia's tie to Saren, so pretty early on in the game, but it's also kind of up to us as players on how fast we want to bring Liara into the story. I've seen countless YouTube videos about, like, here's what happens if you recruit Liara after, uh, there was some crazy one that I saw recently, like, recruiting
3: Liara after Vermeier. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like, it's... That's part of the fun of these games is that most people play them in a certain order, but like you can totally do things in different orders. Right, right. So we uh, we we go and meet Liar, we
2: can choose to do this mission for her, or we could choose to do Pharos or Novaria first. Um, but I always try to recruit her first because I wanna build up my squad and have the maximum amount of time in the game with them. So so I like uh, going to Therum first. And this was, you know, the Therum mission, just as a quick side note, this was originally supposed to be a very different mission and on a different planet it was supposed to be a mining colony on a planet named Calliston. And if Calliston sounds familiar to some of our Uber Mass Effect fans and some of the Lorecast listeners, it might be because you have sat too long idling on the Mass Effect 1 menu screen, (laughs) where it then loops into one of the original trailers of Mass Effect, where Shepard and I I think it's Garrison Ashley are all standing around the CIC and they say that there's a distress mission signal coming in from Calliston and then they uh-huh. go and land uh, on a different planet and it's kind of trying to illustrate to you that you're going to have to make tough decisions one of those decisions being ignoring the distress signal huh uh, that's interesting and yeah actually i may have i may have conflated or confused that a little bit i think ultimately they do decide to land on calliston there's some kind of computer voice that says setting course to calliston or something like that anyway that's why it might sound familiar because calliston in the planning phases was supposed to be this hub of sorts and then there were some going to be some side missions to do. Um, and it was similar to what we got with Pharos ultimately, but th- that idea of having Calliston like that, that was ultimately scrapped. And uh, at the last second instead, we got Liara's mission on the planet Ferum. Uh, and. That hub that I told you about where there would be that central hub while they they did repurpose that that was ultimately modeled as uh, the final fight zone for the bring down
3: the sky DLC. That's so cool. Just to think about how different things would have been had they gone to the original plan. And yet we still have these like little little bits that are left over that hint at the original version as it would have been. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah.
2: If you ever played the Bring Down the Sky DLC, and you think in that final fight zone, like, man, this is a lot of space <laughs>
3: right, for just like this, this little so fight.
2: Yeah, where we're not really spending all that much time here. Yeah, well, that's that's why. um But yeah, we we meet Liara on Therum, the lava planet. Everyone, if you didn't know the name Therum, then it's the lava, lava planet. And Liara is an archaeologist, so her her work is what brought her there. Uh, she tells us that she was studying a Prothean ruin and. Uh, That's what ultimately led her to her being trapped down in the mine when the geth showed up. Uh, But it is a little bit of a damsel in distress situation. You know, I've railed against this kind of trope before. Yeah. Railed probably not the right verb.
3: (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Pushed back against. It's a a Friday. (laughs) Pushed up on. No, that's That would be bad to you. No. mm, Okay
2: criticized. There you go. Uh, I've criticized this trope before about the damsel in distress situation. So uh, let's just let our listeners make up their own minds for it. Here's a little clip that we have. Let's take a listen here. The first time we meet Liara.
4: Can you hear me out there? I'm trapped. I need help. Are you okay? What happened to you? Listen, this thing I'm in is a Prothean security device. I cannot move, so I need you to get me out of it, all right? Your mother is working with Saren. Whose side are you on? What? I am not on anybody's side. I may be Benecia's daughter, but I'm nothing like her. I have not spoken to her in years. Please, just get me out of here. How did you end up in there? I was exploring the ruins when the Geth showed up, so I hid in here. Can you believe that? Geth, yes, beyond the veil. I activated the tower's defenses. I knew the barrier curtains would keep them out. When I turned it on, I must have hit something I wasn't supposed to. I was trapped in here. You must get me out, please.
3: The effect on her voice is uh it's pretty cool. And it's, it's strong. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't I mean, what do you
2: think of this clip? Am I being a little too hypercritical, calling it damsel in distress situation?
3: Yeah. I mean, well, at least in this version of it, we have Fem Shep being the save. It's not it's not male Shep showing up to save the damsel. So it's a little that's a little bit less depending on which shepherd you are. Right. But there's yeah. 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 I mean, the daughter of an important character, it's kind of like a princess in a situation. Right. Like, yeah, there's a little bit of that. You, you could draw some connections.
2: Well, that, I'm glad that you brought up the fact that it was Fimshep. That's why I picked this clip instead of BroShep. And we know from statistics BioWare's previously released that most players decided to play as BroShep. So most of most players did not experience that exact clip because you're playing as BroShep, but but I included it as Fimshep to challenge this idea of do we still consider it a damsel in distress situation if the gender of the player character isn't male?
3: You know, yeah, but I think I think the damsel part depends on who's the person in distress and the idea that she, it's a female looking character. I mean, you know, you can't they're have monogendered, but yes, yeah, they're feminine, you, right? It's feminine looking and she's in danger. I mean, but it's 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 a weird thing to debate, right? Like, well, any character could be in danger. It's just a good plot point it's an interesting way to meet somebody to help them out now they've owe you something maybe or whatever right like so eh, it's I don't know it doesn't hit me too strongly it's there's definitely not like this romantic thing going on at least in this part of your connection with Liara so it's not like oh the princess I'm gonna fall in love with that I'm fine you know like it it doesn't kind of have that overtone really so that makes it a little bit better you know
2: it's, it's not like the 80s fantasy trope of like she's tied to a post and her clothes are ripped. Yeah. It's, right, it's right, not that.
3: right. 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 Or, right. Um, or, you know, the Rapunzel up in up in the tower with the long flowing hair and she's so beautiful, but she's untouchable. You know, like that kind of thing. It's not really mm, that.
2: Yeah. I guess I, I kind of thought of it in this situation because of the the way that she just like she is so dependent on Shepherd's help. Right. Like you need to help me out of here. Right. Right. Like, but whereas when we run into Garrus or Rex, you know, like they also kind of need Shepard's help, but they
3: are portrayed as much more independent individuals off the bat anyway. Right. Right. And I mean, I guess part of this is if I, if I didn't know Liara's arc and how capable she is and how we see that later on, then this would rub me a little bit worse because if she was, if she was the damsel in distress from the beginning and then she was constantly a damsel, in distress that right. would feel really bad but in this case it's like she just happens to need your help and later on she could take care of herself <laughs> like but but you're but you're thinking about in retrospect all uh, right right? Like, right but that's uh, like, the thing is that it's in retrospect you're right like had i did i if i didn't have that information and i was playing that today my perspective on it might be might be different just coming across this for the first time yeah.
2: So, and and that was kind of, I'm glad that you brought up her capability because she is extremely capable and, and it doesn't take long for us to realize that she's a highly intelligent individual. Um, and so that kind of, that, I want to say cerebral quality to how she, how she communicates, it kind of almost gets in the way in terms of getting to know her as quickly as we can understand the kind of personality of some of our other squad mates like rex you know it doesn't take very long to understand that (laughs) rex is not particularly
3: complicated (laughs) as an individual so (laughs) he's a very gruff individual (laughs) and we get that right off the bat pretty simple-minded yeah
2: some some very um tangible color commentary. You know what I mean? That yeah. Rex offers that willy-nilly. But but right. with Liara, she's very analytical. And, and so I picked another clip here from shortly after we recruit her and she's aboard the Normandy. You can kind of hear what I'm talking about, I think.
0: Too close, Commander. 10 more seconds, we would have been swimming in molten sulfur. The Normandy isn't equipped to land in exploding volcanoes. They tend to fry our sensors and melt our hull. Just for future reference.
4: We almost died out there, and your pilot is making jokes? Joker pulled our asses out of there. I think he's earned the right to a few bad jokes. I see. It must be a human thing. I don't have a lot of experience dealing with your species, Commander. But I am grateful to you. You saved my life back there, and not just from the volcano. Those Geth would have killed me or dragged me off to Saren.
0: What did Saren want with you? Do you know something about the conduit?
4: Only that it was somehow connected to the Prothean extinction. That is my real area of expertise. I have spent the past 50 years trying to figure out what happened to them. Just how old are you exactly? I hate to admit it, but I am only 106. Damn! I hope I look that good when I'm your age. A century may seem like a long time to a short-lived species like yours. But among the Asari, I am barely considered more than a child. That is why my research has not received the attention it deserves. Because of my youth, other Asari scholars tend to... dismiss my theories on what happened to the Protheans. I've got my own theory on why the Protheans disappeared. With all due respect, Commander, I have heard every theory out there. The problem is finding evidence to support them. The Protheans left remarkably little behind. It is almost as if someone did not want the mystery solved. It is like someone came along after the Protheans were gone, And cleanse the galaxy of clues but here is the incredible part according to my findings the protheans were not the first galactic civilization to mysteriously vanish this cycle began long before them
3: so i have a few thoughts in this section first of all the the joker joke the joke about joker joking like that whole thing that's fun (laughs) that like that's fun like it's nice to see you know the meeting of species and the misunderstanding of like social etiquette and all of that like that's cool secondly um, the intensity of the dialogue with the music underlaid on un, un, like just like we go through these clips every week and we listen to these things and But I think there really is something about the quality of the music and the way that colors the feeling of this that creates this like warm fuzzy but sci-fi but warm and fuzzy familiar but spacey kind of like it, that's, It's done so well. I just wanted to point that out thirdly um Liara in this scene speaks like an intelligent person and I don't just mean that she says smart things I mean that the way she parses her dialogue the way she says okay I get what you're saying commander Shepard I've heard all of the different like a smart person understands that there are only so many possible theories for a the way the situation goes we've been dealing with this a long time all the greatest minds have been thinking about it and I've heard all of those things discussed Right. It would be like somebody saying, you know, like, um, you know, like, well, have you studied ancient philosophy? And obviously I'm a philosophy major. And like, well, you know, well yes, I've, I've read all of the ancient philosophers. I know all of their thoughts. Let's go with the path that actually leads to where we think things might be revealed. There's still stuff missing here. Let's talk about that part specifically. You know, like, let's not waste our time. Like. Pulling out our measuring sticks and talking about all these different theories. Let's get to the let's get to the point because I already un- we all we all I know that you know that you know that I know that now. Let's move on, right? Like yeah, I
2: I love the fact that while being incredibly polite, Liara effectively undresses the commander with yeah. the commander saying why well, i got my own theory right right and, and Liara's is like you know in all due respect i heard it
3: all before please let's not relive this right you know right and on top of it it's um, it's almost like this weird flex about how old she is and everybody responds about you know oh i wish i looked that good when i'm 100 or whatever uh but like she's establishing like Who she is in her own species, but who she is compared to humans as being somebody who is much older than all of them, but yet still considered young, highly intelligent, but still open to uh, trying to understand things better because there are things that she doesn't understand. Like she's treading this very interesting balance of all of these things which make her both seem extremely capable, but also vulnerable at the same time.
2: Yes. And talking about her youth, she said, because of my youth, my research is not taken as uh, you know, seriously as, as it should be. Right. And A, we can glean that that's a source of frustration for her, but B, how many times have we talked about the, that on this show where you know it's incredibly frustrating being young and in a job where you see what's going on, you know how to fix things, mm-hmm. and no one listens to you for the simple fact
3: that you are young right right yeah and it's a very real thing that a lot of people can identify with i mean you and i have dealt with that in our own careers and things um so yeah so she's she's very she's a very well written character like there's a reason why i think people really like her is that she's she's three-dimensional yes and
2: to push back on that part a little bit though I do think that, and it's not the voice actor's fault. It isn't, you know, because I think she's intentionally written this way, but Liara is a little bit robotic uh, Mm -hmm. and aloof, and it's just a byproduct of her cerebral quality, like I was talking, telling you about, you know? Yeah, I think there's- She's not as emotional as Rex.
3: Right, there is some of that with Liara, but I think in general, in the first game, and maybe people are gonna at me, don't at me on this, I think the voice acting improves as the series goes on, as the voice actors get more and more comfortable with their characters, as the writers write better dialogue for the characters. Uh, I find, in general, Mass Effect 1 has the most stilted dialogue. Uh, so that yeah. it kind of has kind of a robotic quality just in and of itself. But I yeah. got what you're saying. Um,
2: but you know, we later learn that she has effectively holed up and put herself in these situations where she's alone for much of her life. Uh, because she's she's 106 right but mm-hmm. she has been studying the protheans for decades and she's been doing so largely alone and we know that she's bookish we know that she likes to be alone but i also think that in that clip it, it her lack of socializing with other races really comes through
3: right right yeah i mean she she's as even though she's over 100 years old she still seems very new to very specific kinds of things and that's okay like she's she's used to being young among her own species and so that's okay right and I think this is a mentality that smart people in general should try to adopt especially as they get older it's just you know like try to still be open to new things try to still be aware when you don't happen to hold the authority or the knowledge of that specific thing in that specific conversation or situation right like trying to balance that and in this situation she comes across as pretty balanced in both directions
2: Yeah. And and in that realm, I think that she's almost a counter perspective for the player. You know, we've talked about how we think that Shepard was chosen as a human and player characters have only been human in Mass Effect because they provide that referential window through which to view the rest of the galaxy. Well, I think here we're seeing that Liara is like the mirror. She's the counter window with the alien who has not really interacted with many other who she would call aliens before. and. We pick that up with her missing social cues, you know, her doing other things that she just finds nouveau, you know, uh, from other alien races. Um, And I think that she's also, how much plot was just given to us in that little excerpt from Liara? How it was a Mm -hmm. ton of plot about the Protheans, the Reapers. She's a convenient medium, I think, for the writers to convey very critical plot points and and somewhat hold the player's hand uh, in the beginning stages of the game, guiding them through the narrative.
3: Right. And and to uh, speed up the human's understanding of what's actually going on, because they're the new people here. Right. But she's like, no, we've been dealing with we've been trying to figure this out for a while. Like, let me get you up to speed. And then we like you're saying, as the person playing the game, as the spectator, are also brought up to speed. We're like, OK, we're catching up with the rest of the galaxy here while she catches up on, oh, this is what humans are like. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. And and you know, this is a trend that transcends Mass Effect. There's other characters in other series that are very much the voice of the writers speaking to you directly, the oh, player. It's, you know? it's
3: very, very common. And, and this whole scene of like the flip side thing, the mirror side of like the alien getting used to the humans. I mean, how many times does that happen in like Star Trek, you know, or, or series like that, which obviously yeah. Mass Effect pulls a lot from. So yeah. And speaking
2: of, you know, uh, Mass Effect pulling from other sci fi tropes, we should address before we go any further. And I think we talked about it in the Asari episode, but just as a reminder that the design, the original design of the Asari, it was stated by one of the game developers that they were made. To almost emulate the
3: stereotypical sexy blue alien girl, <laughs> and <laughs> like from B movies, like old sci-fi films, and like like where they just paint the person's skin, and then they just put them in like scantily clad space garb, like from like the sixties <laughs> and seventies. Yeah, talk about
2: things that aged like milk curdling in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that that is you know. Yeah. Uh, Obviously pertinent to Liara because many characters in this game, I'm actually not sure if Liara, if this applies to Liara directly, but many alien characters in this game, the alien squad mate or the alien who was uh, of that race, the closest person to Shepard, they were designed first and then the rest of the race was designed around them. Like, mm-hmm what they Mm -hmm. looked like right so
3: well at least it's flipped on its head because like although what you were saying before she starts out as like a damsel in distress but we very quickly find out that she's capable she's smart she's like she is a person standing on her own feet so she may look like sexy blue alien damsel in distress at the beginning but at least she doesn't stay that way
2: no she doesn't um and I think that she becomes such an NPC, like an essential NPC, if you're a Bethesda player, you know that that phrase, essential NPC, unkillable. Technically, Lara is killable by the end of Mass Effect 3, but you can't before then, like there's no way, she's essential, right? And she has this essential NPC vibe about her, unlike most other squad mates. Maybe not readily apparent in Mass Effect 1, but over the course of the trilogy, I think it becomes more and more obvious. Um, for example, there's a moment where after we find out that Cerberus was using Rachni in Mass Effect 1, Liara says something like Cerberus might be a bigger problem than we once realized. Uh, Whether the plan for the writers of Mass Effect was to always have Cerberus grow in importance, I think it's evident that the writers were laying the threads in mass effect one through liara and liara is it once again hinting
3: yeah no i totally agree and yeah whether they knew or not it was good to plant that seed just in case they were going to expand on that plus it makes her seem like a smart character who can kind of predict where things might go she's got it she really got a grasp of like what's going on yeah
2: highly intelligent um Laying that uh, seed uh, back in Mass Effect One about Cerberus, and I know that a lot about Cerberus was retconned later after the fact. And people don't need to at me about that, uh, but you know, not every seed that was laid for future narrative growth actually sprouted. In fact, the the most notable one is the dark energy plot line in Mass Effect Two. Mm-hmm. That one didn't actually sprout to where
3: it may have gone otherwise. Right, but maybe, maybe in the next Mass Effect. Sometimes it's fun to pull those other threads back out and be like, hey, you remember this? So maybe. All right. Well, we this is this is gonna be a double episode. There's a lot to talk about with Liara in Mass Effect One. So why don't we take a quick break and go thank our patrons and then we'll continue on with her story.
0: Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign,
3: and this lore cast is mine. I like the sound of that. All right, here we are in the middle of the show. Thank you so much for your support to all of our patrons and everybody listening. if you're just listening and hanging out, if you're here in the chat, thank you. Thank you for being here. And we have to shout out our shepherd tier patrons, Ed Boy, Kira C and Lieutenant tosino Thank you for supporting us on the Patreon and to all 60 of our current patrons. Thank you for the support as well. If you are interested in checking out what you can get, like stickers and T-shirts, ad free episodes, joining us on Patreon chats, all sorts of fun stuff. Head over to Patreon.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast. Go check it all out. Also, you can leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. That's a great way to get your words on the show. We'll read that out on a future episode. And you can also rate the show five stars on Spotify. That would be awesome. Or whatever podcast you listen to this on. Plus, you can tell your friends, all of that stuff. We can't do this without you. And because of you, we've been able to keep this going for years now. So thank you so much. All right, let's move on with the rest of the discussion about Liara.
4: Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought.
3: All right, Sam. So moving on, we have another clip here. What's this? That's right. So I wanted to go a little bit
2: more into depth about Liara's dialogue and and how she portrays herself in Mass Effect 1 before anyone jumps down our throat and say, oh, come on, guys, it's just one, you know, one minute clip that we talked about before. Well, we have another clip here where she is talking more about the Protheans and other plot points. Um, But uh, why don't we go ahead and and listen to it and uh, we'll dissect it after the fact
4: is what I did not turn up. There is remarkably little archaeological evidence of the Protheans, and even less that might explain why they disappeared. It is almost as if someone did not want the mystery solved. It is like someone came along after the Protheans were gone and cleansed the galaxy of clues. But here is the incredible part. According to my findings, the Protheans were not the first galactic civilization to mysteriously vanish. This cycle began long before them.
2: Where did you come up with this theory? I thought there wasn't any evidence.
4: I have been working on this for 50 years. I have tracked down every scrap and shred of evidence. Eventually, subtle patterns start to emerge. Patterns that hint at the truth. It is difficult to explain to someone else. I cannot point to one specific thing to prove my case. It is more a feeling derived from a half century of dedicated research. But I know I'm right. And eventually I will be able to prove it. There were other civilizations before the Protheans. This cycle has repeated itself many times over.
3: If the Protheans weren't the first, then who was?
4: I don't know. There is barely any evidence on the Protheans, even less on those who came before them. I cannot prove my theory, but I know I am right. The galaxy is built on a cycle of extinction. Each time a great civilization rises up, it is suddenly and violently cast down. Only ruins survive. The Protheans rose up from a single world until their empire spanned the entire galaxy. Yet even they climbed to the top on the remains of those who came before. Their greatest achievements, the mass relays and the Citadel, are based on the technology of those who came before them. And then, like all the other forgotten civilizations throughout galactic history, the Protheans disappeared. I have dedicated my life to figuring out why.
3: I love the uh, story time with Liara.
2: Yes, right? (laughs) That's I probably jumped the gun a little bit when I was talking about it earlier. But that's what I was talking about. You know, More vital exposition on the Protheans given to us from the writers by way of Liara.
3: (laughs) Right, right. right. Yeah, she is Um, the voice of the writers at this point. Yes. Plot points, intriguing
2: details, definitely, uh, that lead us to ultimately realize that it was the Reapers behind it. Um, And yet Liara seems to have much of this already figured out. Uh, And I found it interesting how how absolutely certain she is about her conclusions
3: and Mm -hmm. her theories. And and we're so willing to believe her. At this point. That's the other thing is that like, I I don't don't know about everybody else, but when I watch this, when I play through this part, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the truth. This is the truth. We are speaking the truth. (laughs) Right. Like somehow I'm just like, yeah, no, this is these are facts. I don't have any questions about this.
2: Yeah, there's not a whole lot of unreliable narration at this point in Mass Effect 1. Uh, So I think we've already been primed to kind of trust what these key figures in the game are telling us. And she seems so sure about it. But I I found that to be interesting, especially because she seems to have the mind of a scientist. Right. Yeah, that but but the mind of a scientist would dictate that you're trying to prove yourself wrong. Right, right.
3: You're, You're maintaining skepticism until you have enough solid evidence to say, okay, this is the thing that's most likely. Yeah.
2: But then again, if you've spent 50 years trying to prove yourself wrong
3: and you haven't been able to, maybe you would be that sure. Well, and and that's the other. I mean, she's not human, but the human side of that is even though you as a scientist, you may remain skeptical and be open to new information that will update those things. On some level, you're just going to say, "Okay, if I mean, this is kind of what I think is actually going on. Like if I was to if I if I was a betting person, I would say this is probably what's likely. And that may be wrong. You might be proved wrong later and have to change that opinion, but most people at least carry some sort of opinion, including scientists.
2: Yeah, yeah. And side note after that, and this next, like right after this, she does her whole like, oh my stars, Southern Belle routine <laughs> uh, because someone someone asks, when's the last time? I think it was Caden. When's the last time you ate? Or slept and, then, and the, because the, he, she goes something like oh and like almost faints from exhaustion mid-sentence mm-hmm. anyway that's not the only time in the game that that happens either but for some reason i don't know why that that particular part always like annoyed me because it felt so forced i guess
3: yeah <laughs> so I like, yeah it's it's like the whole is she the damsel in distress is she weak in a wilting flower or is she a capable? smart individual who can stand on our feet like we're getting mixed signals back and forth
2: yeah that's a good way to put it Uh, and you know i am intrigued by this story when i hear this when i hear liara talking about the protheans and the i'm very very intrigued by the story because like you said i take it to be the truth but i'm not so intrigued by liara herself personally Mm mm-hmm at least at this point in the game when i'm playing through i'm putting myself in the perspective yeah. of when i first huh. played through this game
3: is it because of the robotic delivery is it like maybe uh,
2: and you know again i know the voice actors were just following direction they always do and, and they do this through multiple multiple takes mm-hmm. um but it's the writing too of what Liara is talking about You know, we've now heard her talk for, I think the clips combined are about three minutes, right? Three minutes and some change. Four
3: minutes, maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And how much of who Liara is do we know?
3: Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, there's not a whole lot of personal stuff revealed, but that, that still plays into her character. Like she's there are certain things she's very guarded about and the other things that she's very much going to tell you. And I feel like that's true to her character through the series.
2: It is. Yes, definitely. And that is her character. We grow to learn this. You know, I think it's easy. I think, um, The story, it doesn't tell me much of who Liara is, but I also think that it's easy to grow tired of the Liara has the inside track on the writer's mindset. You know, the Liara special girl treatment Mm -hmm. uh, that some might call uh, and some might perceive her as having gotten from the writers. So I think if if some players out there do feel like that, I understand. Uh, But I also understand that Liara plays this crucial role for the player and that we do learn more about who she is as a person if you want to
3: yeah and i feel like that was part of the mentality of the way they designed the games this idea of like if you just want to mainline the, the main quest and get through the game in like 12 hours or however long that takes uh you can do that but if you want to get to know these other characters and maybe romance some of them then that's your it's your you can do that too it's it's like, the, I mean, we have to go back, like, what, 15 years at this point? Longer than that. Say 17 years. Whenever this game actually came out, it was almost two decades ago now. Um, 2007. So yeah. 17 years. 17 yeah. years. Um they have to think about what they were doing. They were trying to make something that would appeal to lots of different people, including people who hadn't played role-playing games before. They didn't want it to be too character heavy, but they wanted to have good characters. They wanted people who wanted to run and gun and get through the main story because that's it was a shooter, right? But they also wanted you to be able to get to know the characters. So they had to there's like this from a meta-analysis for the designers, there's kind of this weird balance in that. Like had we had this this section of the game taken twice as long and we got more personal stuff about her We may not have cared yet because we were Shepherd. We we're supposed to be saving the galaxy and doing the important things and the characters grow on us In a secondary sort of way, so I can see why they would have designed it like that But you're saying right, that, the... that, that you would have you would have preferred maybe to have more personal stuff from her earlier
2: Maybe, you know, and but I think that you raise a great point about pacing because this the original one sheet for Mass Effect did describe it as Jack Bauer in space. Right. 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 So. Yeah. So it was first and foremost, that kind of pacing. But I guess if I if I had things the way that I wanted them to be, or at least the way that I say I want them to be right, then it would have been more akin to act one of Baldur's Gate.
3: Yes. Yes. And I think I and I think that's a perfect example because uh, RPGs have evolved and Baldur's Gate is pulling from this Baldur's Gate one and two Dungeons and Dragons and then other advancements in RPGs over the years. Whereas Mass Effect one was setting itself first and foremost foremost as like, oh, you play a Call of Duty, then you'll like shooting these aliens in space. But also there's a really cool story and other cool characters to get to know if you want to do that stuff, too so yes and
2: and again i don't want to shortchange liara because she does open up we do learn more about her like i said with a little asterisk it's if you want to so assuming that you are one of those players and you never got to know her well here's something new for you here's a clip from Shepard stopping by to talk with liara after recruiting her
4: tell me about yourself liara me i am afraid i am not very interesting commander i spend most of my time on remote digs unearthing mundane items buried in long-forgotten Prothean ruins. Sounds dangerous. And lonely. Sometimes, I would run afoul of indigenous life forms or stumble across a small band of mercenaries or privateers. But I was always careful, until the Geth followed me to Artemis Tau. I never found myself in any situation my biotics could not handle. As for the solitude, well, that is one aspect that most appealed to me. Sometimes I just need to get away from other people. You don't like other people? I suppose it comes from being a matriarch's daughter. People expected me to follow in Benezia's footsteps. They wanted me to become a leader of our people. Matriarchs guide their followers into the future. They seek the truth of what is yet to come. Maybe that's why I became so interested in the secrets of the past.
3: All right. So let's pause here. This is a longer clip. Um, yes. I think there's some interesting things happening in the scene with the uh, creating the beginning of her character arc. We're referencing a character in reference to another important character that we've already met. We see that she feels like she's been she's trying to understand who she is and why she is a certain way and that she's been kind of pigeonholed in this in these specific aspects. Culturally, as Benezia's daughter, Um, As an archaeologist like we're seeing the constraints right and in character writing That means that those constraints are going to be broken or pushed up against In order for the character to grow and and create some sort of arc where they end up in a different location than where they started So it's pretty neat that it's it's so explicitly set up right here. It's like this is like Writing 101. That's what the scene is
2: She is the kind of self-identity um uncertainty that you would expect from someone maybe in their, you know, late teenage years or early twenties. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's so interesting because it stands in stark, uh, contrast to the wealth of, um, knowledge that she has from archeology span and studying that for 50 years. You know, there's the, there's a the crystallized knowledge and then there's the, what other kind of knowledge is it? It's, yeah, I, you
3: know, I don't remember specific words. They fall out of my brain, but yeah, I get, she totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't seem to
2: have that crystalline. I think it's called crystalline knowledge that you uh, that you obtain after you know just sheer byproduct of aging, becoming more wise about and more certain about who you are and who you are in the world and that kind of thing. She doesn't have that yet because she is, for her race, still quite young. Right. Uh, but she is incredibly educated and and intelligent in her respective career
3: field. Yeah, she she has so much knowledge about these specific things. And yet so much so much naivete about who she is in the scope of it it all. Um, So it's this really cool dynamic because it's it's both at the same time. Um, But here, let's continue the clip. There's a little bit more to this one.
4: It sounds so foolish when I say it out loud. It sounds like I became an archaeologist simply to spite Benezia. All children rebel against their parents. It's a natural part of growing up. Aha, you share the wisdom of the Matriarch Shepard. That is exactly what Benezia said when I told her of my decision. But there was more to it than that. I felt drawn to the past. The Protheans were these wondrous, mysterious figures. I wanted to know everything about them. That is why I find you so fascinating. You were marked by the beacon on Eden Prime. You were touched by working Prothean technology. Sounds like you want to dissect me in a lab somewhere. What? No, I did not mean to insinuate. Uh, I never meant to offend you, Shepard. I only meant that you would be an interesting specimen for an in-depth study. Uh, No, that's even worse. Calm down, Liara. I was only joking. Joking? Oh, by the goddess. How could I be so dense? You must think I am a complete and utter fool.
3: So, okay, so two things here. First of all, I really like how Shepard has a moment of being able to convey wisdom to somebody who she's only a fraction the age of. Um, That's pretty cool. Uh, But secondly, the end of the dialogue where the confusion about the joke or misunderstanding, like that totally feels like anime dialogue to me. Oh, it does. Yeah, you're right. It feels like, oh no, oh gosh, I'm so embarrassed, how could I have said such a thing? Oh, don't worry, <laughs> that's not what I actually meant, let's still be friends. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, <laughs> <Tee-hee>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, <laughs> I've embarrassed myself in front of <laughs> Shepherdson Pie. <laughs> right, right, that's, yeah, it Totally, exactly. it totally
3: feels like that, and I don't know,
2: <laughs> but... Yeah. But but yeah, that that's what I was talking about earlier about like I think this is evidence that Liara has been under-socialized. You know, like she yeah. she clearly has not spent enough time around other races and other people that she often says things that even she admits, you know, she's like open mouth insert foot and right. then she gets embarrassed or doesn't pick up on a joke and and if this is kind of like if if you are listening to this and you're like oh my god I think I'm like that like <laughs> yeah it's common like you know right well I mean it's a, it's a f- also
3: a trait of people with certain uh, neurodivergences. This idea that like they just don't socialize as well, but they can be very, very intelligent and very capable at certain other things. Um, So she comes across as somebody who might be a little autistic or, you know, maybe something else that makes her slightly different than the average character that you come across, uh, which is pretty cool because I'm sure a lot of people can identify with that.
2: If Liara is canonically on the autism spectrum, then that's news to me. I haven't seen uh, any confirmation of that, but we do know that like that other characters in the Mass Effect universe are on the autism spectrum, namely Jillian Grayson, Uh, Uh, and she's also an
3: alien. So maybe that doesn't work the same way. Maybe all of the Asari are in some ways a little bit more like that. And that's normal for them. So. I don't know. I mean, Counselor
2: yeah. Tevos is different, right? Counselor yeah. Te- but then again, she's a politician, so it's her job to be uh, a good communicator. Uh, so I don't know. I uh, I don't th- I feel like this level of kind of o- awkward clumsiness is is unique to Liara in terms mm-hmm. of all the the Asari that we meet. Um so yeah, and by the way, if you think that got awkward, then just try and talk with her about Asari mating rituals. <laughs> because she's so clinical about it. She's so clinical about it. Right. It's the scientific
3: uh, and, version of the thing. Yeah.
2: Right. And and this is kind of overall what I'm saying that at the very beginning of Mass Effect one, at least she gives all this factual information. Uh, if you ask her a question, you know, and, and even on topics that are ripe for colorful, colorful remarks that you would definitely get if you asked uh, Tally or Garrus or Rex or Caden or Ashley about them, but she abstains from making most colorful remarks she's, in in some ways, in this part of Mass Effect 1, she's almost like a computer. You enter yeah. an inquiry into yeah. a computer, and it gives you an answer.
3: Right, and it's not ready for you to make a joke. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it doesn't tell you how it feels about the answer. Right, right. Okay, so before we get to the end of the episode, is there, uh, is there any other dialogue about her mother and her family, her opening up about any of that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, and you know, this is a topic that one would guess you'd kind of have to open up about right um and so i do want to play this a little bit about when we're talking with liara about benezia
4: term sometimes an asari and her partner will stay together for many decades do you know who matriarch benezia chose as her partner she rarely spoke of her partner though i know my father if you want to use that term was another asari Benezia never told you her partner's name? Union with our own kind is no longer common. Not for the purposes of reproduction. Most Asari believe it weakens our species. Asari daughters inherit racial traits from the father species. If both parents are Asari, then nothing has been gained, or so conventional wisdom would hold. I am what is sometimes called a pure blood, though no Asari would ever be cruel enough to say the word to my face. It is a great insult among my people. It is possible Benezia's partner was embarrassed by their union. She may have been too ashamed to publicly acknowledge me as her offspring.
3: So we've talked about the stilted dialogue and how she's robotic. And part of what makes the voice acting in this part particularly interesting to me, and I I feel like high quality, is that it's tinged with feeling while still remaining robotic. Like there's emotion underlying it. But the character hasn't changed. Um,
2: exactly, yeah. And that's why so I wanted well to include this part. Yeah. Especially because you know, we're talking about opening up. How can we get Liara to open up? And and you do see some of that highly
3: cerebral analytical uh, facade. I I don't mm. want to call it a facade well, the because words, that implies the words she's choosing are still analytical and careful and specific, but the feeling underneath those words betrays the emotion that they they hold. Um, yeah, well
2: put. It's without clinical, her saying
3: but, emotional words.
2: It, for example, she refers to her father as Benezia's partner at one point. Right, um, right. When she could have just said my father, but that could also be because you know we later learn that Athita, her father, was never around. So maybe she doesn't feel right. Referring to this person as her father, or even though the the, the definition of father right. is unique to our dual gendered, or multigendered species, uh, you know what I mean? Like it, it's a monogendered species for Asari. So right. maybe just even saying like my father would be a weird thing for Liara to feel like saying, but even
3: still, referring to it as. Benezia's partner feels clinical right well she's she's explained like father has multiple inherent meanings inside of it right like your parents in general she's she's referring to this is my genetic progenitor on the opposite side of my mother but she's not saying this is my emotional parent she's withholding that part from the definition by the way she delivers it and it's like she's cleaved the word father in half in a way. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And we, we can still glean, you know, um, from this, that her family is a sore topic and that she comes from a broken home, even if she doesn't call it that, you know, she, she doesn't call it that, but it is a broken home. Um, She admits that her father, father, quote unquote, father was never around um, and that she clearly has some issues with her mom and living in her mother's shadow, right? so and she ran, she essentially ran away from home to, 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 to dive and put herself into her work full-time. So yeah, I think Liara is someone that we can view as having come from a broken home, uh, but is still highly intelligent, uh, very capable, though there are some moments in dialogue that would seem to, you know, uh, contradict that at least. Um, but you can still tell that she's close to her mom too. And I think this is important, especially for what happens later in mass effect. um, Despite these huge expectations that she says come from being the matriarch Benezia's daughter, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So she's so close with her mom, but it's a nuanced topic because uh, she, I feel like naturally some level of resentment may come from having an
3: extremely prestigious parent. Yeah. Yeah. And this isn't where her story ends in Mass Effect one. We're splitting this into two episodes in order to give as much detail as possible and really consider things deeply. So this is only about half of the story for Mass Effect one. We'll continue that next week. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, but Sam, I know you've got some fun news about a. Uh convention you're going to. Do you want to share that before we head out? Yes,
2: yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to be at Emerald City Comic Con this weekend. We're recording this on Friday, March 1st. Uh, and so the convention is going on right now. Uh, and in fact, as soon as I'm done here, uh, I'm going to get changed and I'm going to head over to the convention. And if you're around the Seattle area and you're going to be at Emerald City Con, don't hesitate to reach out to me you know, on Twitter or you know, on the Discord and say, hey, you know, I'm going to be at Comic Con. Let's meet up. And I'd love to be able to meet some of you guys. So um, let me know if, if uh, you're at Comic-Con and maybe we can uh, meet up and I'll be wearing an N7 shirt. I have like a ton of them. So, you know, go what? figure. Uh, <laughs> but I will also be trying to stream at some point this weekend, uh, continuing my personal canon playthrough of Shepard. And of course, my handle on pretty much every social media that I have is In 7 The Legend.
3: Awesome. Well, I hope you have a blast. I hope uh, some people out there are able to meet up with you and and get to hang out. And that sounds fun. It's been a long time since I've been to a big convention like that. So I'm sure it'll be lots of fun. I'm sure you're going to see lots of people like dressed up as cool stuff and like some really cool, I don't know, voice actors, writers, like people to get. It
2: always makes me wish that I did Mass Effect cosplay, Uh but I don't have like the time or the money. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs)
3: Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm I'm always floored by some of the things that people can do, because it really is a skill that I don't have, especially when they make the outfits themselves and stuff. It's very cool stuff. So I hope you have a blast. Um, thank you for tuning in. Of course, you can check out my other stuff as well, RobotsRadio.net for my other shows, Lord of the Rings, Lorecast, the... Uh Fallout lorecast, Elder Scrolls lorecast, and Starfield lorecast. Their names just fall out of my head. Um, and uh, go check that stuff out. Check out the other shows. Lots of other hosts doing lots of cool stuff at robotsradio.net. Oh, and um, I've been working on some new T-shirts on the uh, the merch store. Um, it's just kind of a side thing, like t-shirts don't make a lot of money (laughs) like that is not the main source of income by any means but i'd rather get them up there and try to price them as best i can in order to just give people some fun stuff if they want some fun shirts designed around some of the shows so go check that out as well at robotsradio.net all right thank you for tuning in everybody have a wonderful rest of your week and we will continue liara's story words are hard i need to get over this cold uh, next week see you next time